What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. We're momming today with Erica Donald. She's the CEO of Optima Ed, a foundation and a nonprofit for school choice. She's also the wife of Congressman Byron Donalds uh, out of Florida and the mom of three wonderful boys, ages 12, 15, and 19. Erica, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I wanted to talk to you about school choice, and I still do. But first, I think we need to address um, what just happened. Uh, the Supreme Court ruling that uh, you can't use affirmative action in higher education anymore. And you're in Florida and Florida hasn't used affirmative action since 1999. How's it going? Yeah, I'm thrilled with the Supreme Court's decision. Uh, you know, we have been talking about this since 1999 right here in Florida, where we actually took it out of our university and college system and made it a merit based system. Uh, the way that I see it is that liberals like to use things like affirmative action and quotas to cover up that they are not providing equal opportunities, especially in our K to 12 system for students to achieve and get into these higher colleges based on their merits instead of the color of their skin. You know, I've seen some great commentary about this over the last few days, but really it boils down to we need to adequately prepare our students to get into these colleges no matter where they come from, no matter what the color of their skin is, no matter where they live or what their incomes are. But we need a better K-12 system to do that. And we can't cover up the deficiencies in our low income and sometimes majority minority communities by making these quotas at the college level. So there's so much more to this, but I think this is a huge win for America. And that's where school choice comes in. If you can better prepare all Americans from the from the early stage, from elementary school, then it wouldn't be such a big deal. Uh, When they're ready to uh, apply for higher education, permission to just tell a personal story. I remember I was such a nerd uh, in in school and um, I was very qualified, you know, when I graduated high school to apply wherever I wanted for college. And I remember being in one university in the admissions office. I was with my father and uh, he was kind of making the point, well, this is a good school, but it's not it's not worth the money. They're not giving you any sort of scholarship to go here. But I didn't care. I wanted to go there. And I remember talking to the admissions counselor and saying, how come I cannot get any money to go to my dream school? And she basically said, I'm the wrong sex and I'm the wrong race. And my parents made a little bit too much money. And I I just remember being so aggravated and so annoyed that I was being denied something I would want to take because I didn't fit the right boxes. And that was over 20 years ago. And it's still going on right now. And I'm I'm frustrated by that. That's right. Hopefully not anymore. And we've seen just a huge shift and an imbalance in the use of affirmative action. And 
it's gone far too far for too long. And I'm just really pleased that the Supreme Court took this stance and required reading. I sent to my oldest son who's in college, as you mentioned, um, is the uh, Justice Thomas's uh, addition to the decision is absolutely incredible. I think everyone should read that, especially from his perspective growing up in segregated South. Can you talk about that? The the concurrence that he wrote. No, well, growing up in the segregated South. Um, well, Justice Thomas. You know, talks oh, oh, about okay, okay. No, I thought you meant your son, and that's why I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, well, no. he's kind of young. I was. Oh, he's only nineteen. <laughs> no, that was from Justice okay, Thomas. Okay, okay. I'm like, what is she talking about? Oh boy. Yes. No. Okay. No, <laughs> my sons. You no, know, people. My husband and I have been together over twenty years. You know, we met in college, and obviously, we're in an interracial relationship, and we didn't experience racism, even in Tallahassee, um, but maybe a couple of times going into some like old Southern places. And it was just, you know, maybe looks where people are looking at us a little bit different, but we were universally accepted in our community when we moved to Naples, Florida and went to a, a very mostly white church, of course. I mean, we were in Naples. There's just not a lot of diversity there. Um, and Never thought anything of it, really, only until recent years when we have seen the left just weaponize race and make everything about race that we've even seen people uh, talk about it. And it was just a non-issue for us for the longest time. And it's sad for our children uh, to be growing up when there's so much focus on race, when we thought we were past that. What do the boys say about that? Do they feel like they're the only... um well, how do they identify? That's, I guess, what I, I should ask you first. Well, isn't it a shame that they have to identify as something, right? And yeah, it is. And people try to push you into like, well, are you black? Are you white? Well, if you say you're black, then what about your mom? And if you say you're white, what about your dad? I mean, they're mixed race. That's how they would, quote, identify. But I hope they don't identify as anything except if they're filling out a government form, which I've always advocated to remove the race checkbox from government forms. Why do they need to know? Why does anybody need to know? Unless it's medical where, you know, certain races have higher propensity for, you know, certain diseases or or um, genetics. Why does anybody need to know your race? At this so point? many people, so many Americans are mixed race these days. I, I mean, it's just it's a fact. It's a fact of life. Yet we're being pushed and told to identify a, cer- a certain way. Um, oh, I'm, I'm glad to know you. Your kids don't have this problem and they feel welcomed. That's awesome. Um, so let, let's go back to where you come in very, very strong. And that's all the efforts that the state of Florida and other states throughout the country have made when it comes to school choice. Over 70 percent of voters actually say they support school choice. I wasn't even familiar with it about a year ago. I'm like, what the heck is school choice? It's basically, it's funny because was it Jeb Bush who who signed this into law in Florida like like a quarter century ago? Like this is an old concept. And I, who am a television journalist, am just learning about it relatively recently because it's taken off. Because in my opinion, people are just so dissatisfied with the quality of public education that they want an affordable alternate choice. And it's, well, and that building, yeah, that's been building, of course, here in Florida for the past 25 years since Jeb Bush and, uh, and in other states as well. But it really came to a head around COVID. I think COVID just exploded the concept of school choice 
into people who generally have been opposed to us. I have to say, you know, suburban moms, even my own neighbors, when I went to start my first charter school, you know, they took offense to it because they bought a house in this neighborhood uh, where their children would go to school and they take pride in the school and they serve in the PTA and all of those things. And creating school choice and is was saying to them, I'm not satisfied with this choice that you've made. I want something different. And there were some of them that weren't happy about that. But well, COVID came along and they found out that, you know, their schools aren't open or they're not providing a high quality education or they're teaching things that are contrary to their values. And those people who have so much influence politically and your school boards and your communities started saying, no, we want choices, too. I was... um. I, the superintendent of our school district in New Jersey, where I live, I mentioned this to him and he he said, point blank, I am so anti school choice because I I want the kids who live here going to my schools because we do live in a good school district. And it gave me pause. And I said, oh, that's I did move here for the school system. <laughs> and I do pay really high taxes because the public schools are good. And I said, OK, I, I see the other point of view. Um, so convince me otherwise. Well, I started this journey because of myself as a parent needing an option. Um, I have three boys. One of them started in the local public school. I did what a lot of parents do. I exercise school choice by buying a house in the district where I wanted my kids to go to school. And my first son did great in our local elementary school. No problems at all. Excelled, thrived. Then my second son comes along and it was a nightmare. He hated going to school. He was crying every day. The teachers were exasper uh, exasperated with him. I was exasperated with them because I kept trying to get them to try different things to help him get engaged. And they weren't doing what I was asking. And they threw up their hands and said, there's nothing else we can do for him. And this is a gifted kid from a great family. And I'm in a public school. They're telling me there's nothing else they can do. I pulled him out. I put him into a small classical private school. Now, mind you, I couldn't have afforded to do that for all three of my kids, but I did it for him because I was just done. And the first day I picked up this child from school, his new school, he jumps in the car with a huge smile on his face and told me all about what he had learned that day. Oh, and my gosh. After that, I have the chills for you. Good job. <laughs> Listen, as a mom, it tears me up every time I tell the story, but it opened my eyes. You know what? How many other Darrens are out there whose moms don't have the ability to put them in a private school, drop them off and pick them up every day because there's no buses and do what we did, but they deserve rescuing too. They deserve to love their school. And every parent deserves the feeling I felt from that day forth that my son is happy, he loves learning, and he is going to excel. So what was this private school doing that the public school wasn't? Well, this particular private school was a classical model of education, which is the type of uh, private schools and charter schools and virtual schools that I have started to create since that time to give parents this different option. And I love classical education. It's a traditional. But what is that? You know, sorry, go ahead. I'll explain. Yes, it it is explicit phonics, explicit grammar, classic literature, reading the great books. 
uh, learning historical facts, geography, poetry. It's really going back to more of a traditional style of education that has been going on for actually thousands of years. How all of our founding fathers were educated is through the classical curriculum. And it's really making a comeback because we've gone through so many educational fads in progressive education that have not worked and do not create well-rounded, culturally literate citizens. And that's what a classical education seeks to do. Okay, two questions. If you could talk about any of these fads that are not working in your eyes, and I'm I'm also curious, how many charter schools have you started? We started five Five. uh, charter schools, yes. Uh, One of those being a statewide virtual school here in Florida that's now expanding to other states called Optima Academy Online. It's the world's first VR school. So I talk about a traditional education Uh, But Optima Academy Online actually delivers a classical education through the most modern technology and virtual reality. So it's a very cool concept. So just because we love classical traditional education doesn't mean we don't use technology. But when I talk about fads, I am talking about when I served on the public school board in Southwest Florida for for four years, there were so many uh, ed tech fads that came through that weren't producing results for students. Uh, all of these smart boards, they had these smart board tables that they were using. I mean, they were spending so much money and it did not move the needle for kids in their proficiency in reading and math. Um, when they finally woke up to the science of reading, which does base itself on explicit phonics, you can Google that, the science of reading. Now there's all these studies coming out and so many schools are getting back to the science of reading and explicit phonics because what they were doing, whole language learning, sight words and the like, that did not work. It actually stagnated our country's reading scores for decades. And so thankfully, I think people are starting to see that we need to get back to those basics. Wow. Sight words don't work. Okay. Um, I really need to know more about this VR school, but we're going to take a quick break. And we're momming today with Erica Donalds. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're back on We're Momming Today, joined by Erica Donalds. She set up five uh, charter schools in the state of Florida, and one of them is online only and virtual reality, Erica? That's right. Optima Academy Online, the world's first VR school, started this past school year. How do you convince parents that this is what they should do with their child? Well, we just tell them what we're offering, and we really focus on the high-quality curriculum that we have As mentioned, I built four other schools in different uh, communities, some suburban, some urban, but there are communities across the state of Florida that desperately need school choice and parents who want a classical education. But these things take two years to build. There's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy that goes along with that. And we just can't build them fast enough. So we created Optima Academy Online to deliver that same rigorous, high-quality classical education virtually. And I happened to uh, come in contact with my my now business partner, Adam Mangana, who has both a degree in the classics and was working on the VR classroom and implemented that during COVID. And the marrying of those two ideas, a high quality virtual curriculum available to all families tuition free, 
plus the virtual reality that allows them to not only interact with their teacher and other students in a classroom-like setting, but they can also go to the moon and learn about the lunar landing. We have a constitutional experience at Independence Hall and 200 other locations where teachers can, quote, take the students in VR to do their lessons. So do they wear, which headset do they wear and how often do they wear it? Uh, we're headset agnostic, so they can okay. use any type of VR headset. Um, if they're getting it from the school, we use the MetaQuest uh, headsets from um, from the Facebook company. Um, however, they are using this only for 20 to 30 minute sessions, uh, a couple times a day, only in the morning. So from 8 to 12, there'll be different subjects. So they may do 20 minutes of math learning in the headset, have a break have 30 minutes of science and have a break. So it's a university model schedule. And then in the afternoon, they're doing their learning just on the computer or maybe on paper uh, if they're using a book and submitting those uh, virtually as well. So those VR lessons when they're in these headsets are limited time per day and only used for those live interactive lessons. I'd imagine this keeps the kids entertained, on their toes, interested, especially if you're doing a distance learning, online learning format, it's easy to get distracted. It's incredibly engaging for the students. Obviously, there are so many distractions. Even when all of our kids were on Zoom, they had different tabs open, you know, playing Roblox on one tab while their teacher's teaching on another tab. Uh, But in virtual reality, the kids are completely immersed in the learning experience. And the studies that have been done in regards to VR education are really focused on that maximum engagement and retention of the information that they're learning in VR. Um, Separately, the Department of Education. I'm hearing more and more people say we need to get rid of it entirely. Um, I I, I think collectively the state's fund or it's funded to the tune of a is it a trillion dollars a year? How much? Yeah, is- it's. I don't know the budget of the federal Department of Education, but I am in the camp and have always been that it is not a power of the federal government listed in our Constitution and therefore should not be involved in education. I don't see anything good coming out of it. Uh, I believe in the states as those pockets of innovation, especially when it comes to education. And I believe in competition amongst the states when it comes to the quality of the education that they're putting out. So if I were appointed secretary of education, uh, I would work from day one to eliminate the Department of Education and block grant any of that funding to the states. If funding needs to exist at the federal level and let those states uh, be incentivized to compete with one another for the best education possible. Now that our parents uh, are so mobile, right, we had this huge influx into Florida because why? Partly because we were competing on education and that we were open. And families could move to Florida because our schools were open and our kids were not going to lose two years of education because the schools were closed. And so think about all the other innovative ways that states could be competing on education, uh, innovation and proficiencies and offerings. Erica, it seems to me if you're allotting that one trillion dollars or whatever it is to the states to spend as they see fit and, and, and bring in competition in that, that means you get rid of the unions, right? Because a union job kind of just, and there are tons of good teachers and good workers who are in a union. I I don't mean this to be uh, negative towards any of them, but it seems like the unions just support the status quo. 
Listen, I definitely have been the enemy of the teachers unions, especially when I was serving on the school board. I tried so hard to weaken their power, even in Florida, where you you don't think of Florida as a a union state. They still have a a stronghold on our education system. Now, thanks to Governor DeSantis and our legislature this year, they passed the first paycheck protection law in the entire country where districts are no longer allowed to pull union dues from teacher paychecks. So unions have to actually sell themselves to the teachers and teachers have to pay those dues outside of the paycheck deductions. That's gonna be huge for um, unions either being more responsive to their members or more likely their membership will drop to where they are decertified in the state of Florida. And then we'll really see what we can do without the power of unions uh, pulling us down. But. I do. I have many stories from being on the school board of how unions are working only for the adults at the expense of children and what they need. And I'm a huge proponent of charter schools and private school choice that allows parents to vote with their feet. And all of those schools of choice can truly compete in an innovative way because they don't have to have unionized teachers. What do the teachers say to you, the public school teachers who are in the union? Do they say you're right or are they giving you uh, pushback? Well, the union leaders obviously don't like what I say, uh, and they give me a lot of pushback, but I actually did a union town hall once. I never rejected an invitation. I went in front of the union for a town hall. I went in front of the League of Women Voters. I'm happy to go in front of any audience and tell you what I think, like it or not. And at one of the union town halls, I actually had a small group of teachers come up to me afterward and give me checks for my campaign for school board because they believed in what I was saying. So I think there are a lot of teachers, especially very good teachers, who really feel stifled by what the union has done. And they're not allowed to be awarded for their great performance. And in fact, what they're giving up is allowing to prop up teachers who are not performing. So I think great teachers and good teachers don't care about being in a union or being part of a union, but there's so much pressure in public schools. But thankfully, with the proliferation of school choice, it gives choice to teachers as well. And we have no problem hiring in our charter schools. While the districts are experiencing huge shortages of teachers, we're overwhelmed with applications because teachers know that when they come to one of our schools, they can actually use their professional judgment and creativity and teach Uh, in a way that will help the students succeed. Erica, what are the boys doing this summer? Well, they're going to lots of camps and playing lots of sports. (laughs) And thankfully, we're going to have some family time, some family vacations, uh, which are desperately needed. As you know, we work very hard throughout the year. So uh, we are getting ready to go on a family vacation and really looking forward to that. But You know, my oldest son plays football in college, so he's been there training. He plays football in college. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. He's the size of my husband, so they're pretty big guys and uh, has always loved football. And so he's really living the dream, studying economics and and playing football in college. Yeah. My middle son is a basketball player, so he's been doing that all summer. And he's actually coming back from Puerto Rico today where he went on a basketball missions trip. Uh, which was absolutely amazing. He goes to a Christian school and uh, was recommended for this great trip in Puerto Rico. So my kids are really active, really involved. And, you know, I I love uh, the options that we have for them, both academically, and I've used public, private, charter, and even some homeschooling with all three of my kids throughout the years. 
And all I want is for other moms to to have the same agency and know that they can make these choices for their kids, whether it's summer programs or year round to allow them to just be joyful and thrive academically and socially. Agreed. But I have to point out, you are a boy mom. Um, and I'm such a boy mom. <laughs> OK, wait, wait, girl, it's, it's way I don't it's harder to be a girl mom because of the um, um the the psychological skills that you're going to need to get through it. Uh, girls are so much drama compared to boys. I have two <laughs> girls and a boy. My son is just easy. I know each kid is different, but oh, I like that you're a boy mom. <laughs> I love being a boy mom, but I have to admit my middle son, um, the one who caused me to get into this activism, uh, they call him little Erica because we have very similar personalities. And my mom tells me that's payback for how I was as a teenager. <laughs> he's, the, he's the girl you never had. <laughs> he's the girl I never had. But yeah, being a boy mom is so fun, though. I love sports. I was a, an athlete in high school, so I have such a great time uh, with all of their sports and all of their activities and just just you know, we're so blessed. Uh, and I always say, you know, God gave us three boys because hopefully uh, they'll have to grow up to be just like my husband, Byron. And uh, oh. if they're able to do that, we will have success. They have such sure. a strong father figure. They really do. They should be so, so, so proud. And so should you. But that's special. We are. Erica Donald, thank you for the time. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.